and welcome to Friendly Chat with me, Naomi Hazenberg, and my friend and colleague, Luke Maunder. Thanks, Naomi. And uh, this time we're going to be talking about the new judgment that's come out uh, in Keegan and Tales, which concerns friend and jurisdiction, albeit with some parties you don't normally associate with those terms. Indeed. So that's like a follow-up to episode one we had on jurisdiction. And in that case, we did mention implementer actions, but none of them had been successful so far. And in none of them, the court had accepted jurisdiction, but all of that kind of slightly changed in early November. It did. When this decision came out. It did. Uh, Yes, a decision of Mr. Justice Fancourt um, from the 8th of November, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, And here we're on a different standard as well. So Keegan, the implementer, has brought an action um, against Tales as a SEP owner um, concerning eSIMs or eSIM technology, which is a standard managed by GSM, uh, rather novelly, uh, governed by English law, but I'm not sure that is a particularly relevant fact uh, that we need to focus on. Um, but it's an implementer-led action brought in two parts, isn't that right? It is. And they had um, both a claim for a declaration that two of Talas's patents were either invalid or not essential, and a claim for a declaration that they were entitled to a FRAND license and a determination of those FRAND terms. And they kind of pointed to a specific part of the GSM IPR policy, didn't they? They did, yes. Clause 5.1. Um, we probably don't need to quote it verbatim. but uh, I'm not sure we'd be able to. <laughs> that's true. We might. <laughs> Could definitely have a go. Um, <laughs> but essentially, it requires an undertaking from members to grant friend licenses to SEPs and requires uh, good faith negotiation. So to be honest, I think it's very much a nothing to see here from the, the contractual side of things. But the, the interesting aspect is that Tales brought this jurisdiction challenge um, and they raised two grounds of objection. Uh, one, which is the particularly interesting one, um, they argued that the court wasn't uh, competent or didn't have jurisdiction to hear a freestanding FRAN determination absent an infringement action. And two, uh, possibly slightly less interesting, but still a, a different take, they brought a forum challenge saying that the alternative forum of alternative dispute resolution uh, should have been used. Um, personally, it's something that was probably on a hiding to nothing, but we can come on to that at the end. Yeah. A postscript at the end, maybe. (laughs) Like Lord Justice Arnold. (laughs) Indeed. Oh, that can be our new favourite thing. Uh, And uh, even so, the exciting part of their jurisdiction challenge, if we want to make ourselves sound like real geeks, was rejected, wasn't it? Because their pleaded case, um, the judge said, set out a proper contractual basis for the court to hear the case. Completely, yes. And and this, as you said before, is something we've talked about and speculated over. They probably looked at what was said in Vestel when obviously the freestanding implementer action was rejected, but that was one based in competition law that didn't set out a legal right to a FRAND license and didn't set out a legal framework within which FRAND could be determined. But here, uh, a party has taken heed of that, pleaded a freestanding right to a license and a contractual framework. And Mr. Justice Fancourt said, well, that's that's fine. We don't have to have a, a link to a patent infringement action. Yeah, it kind of takes ad- advantage of the, um, I mean, it's not guidance, is it? But it, there was a kind of clear points made by Lord Justice Burse in the Vestal case of there is no indication in the pleadings and in the cases pleaded as it's been amended uh, that you're pointing to that gives you a right to a friend license so i can't do anything here hint hint for people to come but um that was their pleaded case but their case once they got to the hearing uh had slightly changed wasn't it so they still had their contractual 
reliance on the GSM IPR policy. But although they'd asked for the Fran declaration when it got to the hearing, they weren't entirely willing to say they would enter that Fran license, were they? No, they weren't. And this is a sort of a, a bit more confusion leaped, heaped on top of some existing confusion because, of course, they brought their action. They said, we want a freestanding Fran determination. As Mr. Justice Farncourt said, it was fine. Um, and then they also said, we want declarations that two patents were not not valid or not essential. And then it was sort of unclear from the pleading that the Fran declaration was or wasn't linked to that. So you could see a scenario where they, they were saying, perhaps, I want those declarations. And if I can't have them, i.e. the patents are valid and essential, I'd like a Fran de- declaration. So they went into the hearing and it was all a little bit unclear. Um, they might have been able to clear some of that confusion up. But of course, standing up and saying, we're not going to undertake to take the Fran license that you determine English court, possibly heaped a bit more confusion on on the court. And I I don't think the court took that very well, did it? No, it didn't, did it? It, The the judge was pretty clear that he thought their pleadings were saying, we want a declaration that these patents are valid and not valid and not essential. And freestanding a, a declaration uh, you know that we're entitled to the license and the terms of that license but both in correspondence and in the hearing it was confirmed that well actually we don't want to take that license unless one of the patents is valid and essential and we want to wait and then we'll assess whether it might be worth us actually just coming off the UK market um, and on that basis he said it was you know obviously it's not the same type of action as the Optus Apple action that we've discussed previously, but he said, you know, we're in the situation where this is just akin to being an unwilling licensee. And in this, if you're wanting this friend uh, declaration to happen, I'm not going to let it happen because otherwise it's you know, an abusive process. So he he stayed that part of the case, didn't he, until either the undertaking was given or it was made clear in the pleading that they would take the license if the patent was valid and if any patent was valid and essential. So no longer letting them prevaricate. Exactly. And they didn't do themselves any favours, did they? I mean, they were arguing, we want to see the licence first in a scenario where Mr. Justice Mead had just told Apple and and the Court of Appeal, indeed, had just told Apple, you can't do that. Um, But they'd not helped themselves and they'd made the position unclear. They pleaded two routes to Fran that were let's face it, a little bit inconsistent without being willing to clarify what their position was. And, and that's where the abuse angle really, really bit home. I mean, Mr. Justice Farncourt did come out and say it was not a broad decision that an undertaking was needed in every case. Um, and in other cases, there'd be clear indications of willingness by the licensee or by the implementer. And I think you need to you need to be very careful, I think, with this decision to separate it out into buckets, because you've got the validity and essentiality pleading with the linked friend determination and then you've got the freestanding friend determination and he was saying in every not in every case of a freestanding friend claim would you need an undertaking unless there were sort of question marks over willingness yeah i think he said i think he said it'd be like overly onerous wouldn't it if you had to give it in every case for for the case to be able to proceed but you can entirely imagine you know you're a defendant in an implementer action and you get one of these lands on your desk and, and you not only think, well, I'm going to challenge jurisdiction, but you also ask them essentially to put up or shut up. Are you going to, if the court does determine these the license terms, will you enter it? Or will you say that now? Because, you know, it might not, you might not need to give an undertaking for that to happen, but otherwise, you know, that's going to raise really serious questions about your willingness if you aren't willing to give that undertaking at the early stage of the action. 
Yeah, no, I agree completely. It's going to raise some interesting questions. You know, you can see, can you push someone into a situation where they're going to have to think about giving the undertaking or will it be enough for the implementer to say, now, hang on, I've brought this action. I said I'm willing to take the license. You can't point to anything in my history that suggests I'm unwilling. Why do you, are you now forcing me to give an undertaking that's not justified? Apart, apart from not being not wanting to, not give, wanting an to give an undertaking, <laughs> but then but then what what's been said in this case wouldn't make much sense in that scenario because obviously that's always going to come up. So it's a, it's an interesting point, um, particularly I think if you've got an implementer pleading or, or bringing an action saying that their offer was friend, but not asking a de- asking for a separate determination if they're wrong about that. That could be an interesting angle if the SEP owner then doesn't bring that in. Um, do they have to give an undertaking to take their own offer? And what if the court's not doing the full determination? So watch this space. Plenty more to argue about. It, it's it's answered one question, but raised a few more. Yes, indeed. Well, that's, it does seem to be the sort of consistent thing with Fran <laughs> litigation in this country, doesn't it? it not boring if it wasn't. Indeed. No sooner is one question. Should we, should we close the loop on their forum question? Was that they wanted, Tales said that their alternative a forum was was WIPO mediation, didn't they? And and the judge said, and I think I think he might have said sensibly, it wasn't argued that forcefully in front of him. Indeed, that that, that actually WIPO mediation isn't an alternative forum. So with no alternative forum to consider, there's, you know, that kind of fizzled out fairly quickly on on that front, didn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, well, it was, um, I, I fear, doomed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, as you say, it's not an alternative forum and the court can't force parties to mediate uh, unless there's a sort of contractual term to enforce. So. Indeed. Well, I think that probably covers everything that's in that decision. So it's just a quick snippet update from Luke and I. Um, but we could end by saying what we say every time which is watch this space or when we get to talk about the big exciting judgments yes. coming up soon in uh, interdigital and Nova and optus and apple I and know. one day they will turn up the L- <laughs> london buses all at once <laughs> i know i bet i'll be on maternity leave when they come <laughs> uh, almost certainly knowing my luck no. <laughs> um, two weeks and counting indeed but yes do go to the bristow's friend tracker and uh, follow us on social media for the latest updates thanks for listening mm-hmm.